I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Capehart. Before the end of Black History Month, I talked with Congresswoman Joyce Beatty of Ohio, the chairwoman of the Congressional Black Caucus. We talked about her heroes, and we talked about what faces the black woman President Biden promised to nominate to the Supreme Court. In this conversation, first recorded on February 16th for Washington Post Live, before Biden nominated Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court, Beatty talked about the significance of that nomination, and she talked about her run-in with Congressman Harold Rogers, in which the Kentucky Republican told her to, quote, kiss my butt. People feel that they are privileged and that they can do and say anything they want to. But I think I sent a strong message to him. I'm about leadership and dignity and civility, but he clearly picked the wrong woman on that day. Beatty told me that that exchange is evidence of, quote, a lack of decorum and respect for the House. Good morning. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post. Welcome to Washington Post Live and another in our series, Race in America, History Matters. February is Black History Month, so we're continuing our examination of the role Black women have played throughout American history. My first guest today is historic in her own right, Congresswoman Joyce Beatty, Democrat from Ohio and chairwoman of the Congressional Black Caucus. Chairwoman Beatty, welcome to Washington Post Live. Thank you so much for having me and what a wonderful time in history to be here with you. So chairwoman, who are some of the women who have inspired you? Well, it's interesting when you read History Matters, it it does. Uh, I start with the strong black women in my family, from my grandmother, my aunt, and my mother. And it's interesting, I saw Nanny Helen Burroughs' name come across the screen. She was a best friend to my grandmother. I grew up in the church. Mm. And so I guess I would include her in the beginning. But certainly there are people like Rosa Parks. I grew up hearing about Rosa Parks and her giving up, not giving up her seat on the bus in 1955. And then, of course, Harriet Tubman, and you have Shirley Chisholm, and then the young folks of today. I look up to Yolanda King, you know, a teenager, the only granddaughter of Martin Luther King Jr., who I've had the opportunity to spend time with. But Rosa Parks started it all for me. She taught Mm -hmm. me to stand up for what you believe in no matter what, even if it's getting arrested. Uh, Rosa Parks and Fannie Lou Hamer kind of grounded me to stand up, to to speak out. And then a local woman by the name of Edna Char- Charity Early, good friends with Barbara Jordan, first person to tell me a black woman could serve on a board as a volunteer, but a paid volunteer. Uh, mm-hmm. So she exposed me to a lot of things. So I'm grounded with women like them, historic women. Mm-hmm. And so you talked a lot about Rosa Parks, which explains why you introduced legislation to establish Rosa Parks Day as a federal holiday. What's the significance of such a national holiday? I think it's it's very important for me because she opened our eyes as the mother of modern civil rights movement. You know, it was Rosa Parks that gave us so many of our legal giants in the movement, Martin Luther King Jr., because of what she did. Can you imagine 
for one year, refusing to get on a bus, even if that was your only way to earn an income by getting or going to, to work. But the people stuck, they stuck together and fought for what they believed in, and it made a difference. Well, I think it's very important because in Ohio many years ago, uh, following Rosa Parks' life, I introduced legislation that became the first in the United States as a bill to designate Rosa Parks Day. Coming to Congress and continuing to work on that and be an advocate, she did so much for this country. The mother of the civil rights movement, she helped us elevate Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, it was much more than just that December 1st day in 1955. It was her work that she went on to do with voter voting rights, voter education, getting people registered to vote. I can't have you here and not talk about the big, big news, and that is President Biden's selection of a black woman to the Supreme Court for the, the first time. Talk about the significance of having her on the high court, on society and young black girls in particular. I think this is a historic moment that will change the way we look at the justice system, but it's so much more than the justice system. Think about the culture shift. Think about what will happen when we look at all of the issues that we're fighting for, civil rights, voting rights, criminal rights. It will make a difference because she will bring herself, her culture, her justice, her freedom, uh, a different voice that will be a voice that is void right now for us having it. It'll make a difference to not just black girls, but it'll make a difference to girls and women of all races, of all ethnicity. Um, there's a lot of concern, as you well know, that the president's pick will be the target of unprecedented racism and misogyny and sexism. Do you share that concern? Oh, absolutely. We saw it with First Lady Michelle Obama, who was just stellar in every avenue. We saw it with Vice President Kamala Harris, another giant and person of stellar intellect and experience. But we're ready. The nation is ready. We will stand up with whomever the president appoints. You know, Senator John Kennedy, a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, so he'll have a vote. Uh, whether the nominee at the nomination advances out of committee recently said, and I quote, I want a nominee who knows a law book from a J. Crew catalog. Talk about how offensive that is. Systemic, systemic racism, ignorance, uh, it makes no sense. When you look at the candidates that are being vetted, I mean, let's talk about their academic. Let's talk about their judicial opinions. Let's talk about what they will bring to the bench. Um, Congresswoman Cori Bush recently said, and I quote, we shouldn't be pitting black women against each other for this Supreme Court seat. I know in my gut what that means. What does that admonition mean to you? Oh, I share uh, that statement and I've even said it. Look, when you look at the women who are out there, for my opinion, they're overqualified. They bring everything that you would want in a Supreme Court justice. And so we shouldn't be picking winners and losers because they're all winners. The fact that your name is mentioned makes you a winner because the president will only bring the best and all of them are the best. 
You know, you recently uh, asked Congressman Harold Rogers, Republican of Kentucky, to put on a mask before boarding the, the Capitol subway system. And you said Congressman Rogers then poked you in the back and told you to get on the train. What did you take away from that incident uh, and the congressman's subsequent apology? Well, I took away that we still have incidents that people feel that they are privileged and that they can do and say anything they want to. But I think I sent a strong message to him. I'm about leadership and dignity and civility, but he clearly picked the wrong woman on that day. And I think he understands that. I refuse to accept his personal apology. He did a public insult, high profile, so he needed a high profile apology. So the Congressional Black Caucus went to the steps in support. I was never so proud of our Congressional Black Caucus and our leadership. Speaker Pelosi demanded a public apology. He gave it. And I hope he's learned a lesson, but certainly America knows that we are not taking the incivility, the systemic racism, and that he could disrespect me. Yeah, it, it went beyond just your run-of-the-mill incivility, what he said to you, and I'm not gonna repeat it here. You've been in Congress, correct me if I'm wrong, since 1999. So you've been in the body, uh, in the House, for a long time. This incivility, um, that you're talking about and that you have experienced. Has it gotten worse over time since I, you've been serving I think in it's Congress? Worse, but now I haven't been in Congress since 1999. I just want to, okay. I was in the, the state house during that time. State house, okay. I came to Congress in 2013. But so, okay, uh, still, that's a long say, time. It, it is a long time. <laughs> and let me just say, yes, it has gotten worse. Uh, there would be a time that we would disagree, but we would disagree, uh, we wouldn't be disagreeable. Uh, now there is a lack of decorum and respect for the House. And I think much of that is from the last administration. Uh, a president who bullied people, a president who was disrespectful, a president at times that was ignorant. And I think those who are following him, in my opinion, fall into the same footsteps, ignorant, not having respect uh, for uh, the decorum of the United States Congress. And I think America really knows it when you see what's happening, the disrespect. Mm -hmm. um, that's a lack of leadership, a lack of understanding how you represent the people you serve. America is bigger than that, better than that, and deserves better than that. We have a couple of minutes left, but I got to get you on one more thing before before I let you go. As you know, the House of Representatives passed the Freedom to Vote Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, went to the Senate, and it's not going anywhere over there. Now the conversation is all about reforming the Electoral Count Act. What do you make of the efforts to reform the Electoral Count Act? I think it's in the right direction. I simply don't think that it's enough. It is a great start. It's progress. But we're not giving up on the Voting Rights or the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. They're still our top priorities. And I equate it to when John Lewis and Martin Luther King set out to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge. They had all the intentions of crossing the bridge, but they turned around. But they didn't give up. They came back and they made progress, and we will do the same. Chairwoman of the Congressional Black Caucus, Congresswoman Joyce Beatty, thank you very, very much. Thank you, and I'll come back again.
Thanks for listening to Cape Heart. It's produced by Julie Deppenbrock. We'll have new episodes for you every Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Capehart. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.